would be able to truly hear your voice in our heart and mind. To hear your words in what you want for our life. The perspective, Father God, of you and your word and how it pertains to us now, especially with the world around us and everything going on, Father, may we find hope and encouragement in you and in your name and in your words. So, Father, just be with us now. Spirit, move in our hearts and our minds. May we walk away knowing and hearing exactly what you needed us to hear this morning. Nothing more, nothing less. Father, thank you for gathering us, bringing us to this point, and being with us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So let's read together Psalm chapter 62. We'll read through the chapter, and then we'll, we'll spend a little time with it. Verse 1. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. Verse 5, for God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. That power belongs to God. And that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. So as we look at Psalm 62 this morning, there's probably some words in there that resonate with you. Hopefully some words just pop off the page for you. And we're going to cover a lot of those this morning. And, and, but one particular theme we want to talk about this morning that I believe Psalm 62 really speaks to, and that is in the very first three words, for God alone for God alone so the message this morning if you saw online we have a little title for the message it's called soli deo gloria soli deo gloria and what that means in God alone glory to God alone he is the only one that needs to be praised and as David's writing here, and I think is the song of our heart as well, or we want it to be, it should be, he alone is our source of hope. He alone is our salvation. Jesus has made that abundantly clear through his ministry we've been studying. But here now we go back to the Old Testament for us, the Old Testament. And David's writing from this place of just giving praise and honor and glory to God alone. And that's really the word that resonates because of so much that was going on around him. And I think if we pull that to today, so much that's going on in our lives for us. 
we need to come back to those words. If you want to speak Latin, go ahead and speak Latin. But soli Deo Gloria, glory to God alone. When you look at the news, when you look at what's going on in society, glory to God alone. I mean, how many of us need to come back to those words time and time and time again? It's what we need today. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. I'm going to read it from the New American Standard Version. It says, in repentance and rest you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. You hear those words? In repentance and rest you will be saved. Just because you take a nap doesn't bring you salvation. Let's, not, let's clear that up right now. Sometimes it does, but isn't it resting in Jesus refreshing for our soul? Doesn't it renew who we are, especially when we just need to shut off the TV, close down social media, and we can just rest in the Word of God, spend time with Jesus? You know, oftentimes we think, rest? Well, I'm just going to kick my feet up and, and watch the game, or I'm just going to go outside and do some yard work. I'm just going to get away and, and just find some quiet. But I think if we take that a step further and we find rest in the Word of God, if we find rest in the name of Jesus, and if we continue to say these words, glory to God alone, in my rest, you, God, are my salvation. You see how often this is repeated in Psalm 62? In just a few short 12 verses, we see this repetition. I mean, how long did it really take us to read the passage? Just a, a minute, right? But yet, how many times did we need to repeat the words? For God alone is my, as my, in my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. Psalm 37, verse 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. So what do we see already? Silence, salvation. I shall not be greatly shaken repentance and rest, quietness and trust. Don't we need that today? We need that today. Whether you think you need it or not, we need that today. And so let this serve as a, a reminder for us, a time to pause, a time to reflect, a time to sit back and go, I need Jesus. I'm so caught up in everything else that's going on. I need more and more and more. So if David is saying these words and preaching these words, for God alone my soul waits in silence. If he alone is our rock, if he alone is our fortress, if he alone is our salvation, then nobody or nothing else should take that place. We shouldn't then look to anyone else. We shouldn't look to anything else to provide us salvation, to provide us satisfaction, to provide us assurance, to provide us anything. Nothing in this world can satisfy and take the place of who God needs to be for us. Politicians and governments, economics, the news, social media, why do we continue to stake our claim in those things as if they have any eternal value for our life? They don't. Will they determine aspects of our life here? Sure. We're not going to be completely ignorant. Yes, who may sit in that house in D.C. may have an effect on how society goes, may have an effect on the economic status of society. But is that what we stand on as children of God? Is that, does that determine our eternity? Does that determine our salvation? Should it determine our hope and our joy? The answer is clear. But I want us to reflect. I want us to pause and really see 
and evaluate what it is in society, the things that we've been holding on to, that we've been gripping tight, as if they determine our faith, salvation, trust, or obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, when we read in here in, in these 12 verses in this chapter, a couple times that word came up, Selah. And if you notice, I paused. Because that's exactly what that word means. It means pause. Why do we pause? Because God really wants us to reflect on the words that were just said. But I think that's a word for us today in our life, in our mind, in our, in our heart, just to pause. We get so wrapped up in everything going on that we don't pause. We don't slow down. Psalm 9, 9 says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed. And here's a word for today, a stronghold in times of trouble. God alone is a stronghold in times of trouble. What's a stronghold mean? It's a lofty or inaccessible place. Sit on that for a minute. That God is our stronghold is a lofty, inaccessible place. What does that mean for you? And when you rest in God, when you spend time in him and his word, in quiet, in the stillness, when you pause, nothing can get to you in that moment. Nothing can access your heart and your mind when you rest in God and God alone. That's what a stronghold means. That's why we are Refuge City Church. That's what refuge means. It's a stronghold. It's a fortress. It's impenetrable. Because when we rest in God and God alone, which is what this church will stand on, and we act as the church in obedience to Jesus Christ, nothing in this world should affect us. Nothing in this world should have access to who we are because who we are is in God and God alone. That's the importance of this. As we've been talking about the last few weeks and the conversation of the end times, the attacks are going to come. Persecution is promised, and David talks about this here. The attacks that are going to come. People are going to try and do what? They're going to try and pull you down. That's what he was saying in, in verse 4. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. When you're in God and when you're in Christ and you're walking in that trust and obedience and faith in Him and Him alone, there are going to be those that come and don't understand the peace that you have in chaos. They don't understand why you have so much joy in the midst of crazy, disastrous, chaotic world going around us. They don't get it. And so that causes them more unrest. To see you at such peace, they're going to do everything else to pull you down. Because when you're in that high and lifted up place, that lofty, inaccessible place in God's trust and care, they want to pull you from that. Because rather than try and climb into that place, they want you to come down to their level. And that's what people are going to do. And that's what this world does. That's what the media does. That's what all this chaotic stuff that is being allowed to happen will do because it's going to get your mind and your heart focused on those things so you can get into that position of unrest and chaos and anger and hostility and hurt 
because for some reason people find peace in that. And they're going to do everything they can to pull you into that. So how much more do you have to fight back spiritually and emotionally to keep yourself in a position where you're trusting in God and God alone? Where you can truly say in your heart and your mind, glory to God alone. Nobody can have access to me. Nobody can pull me down. Because when we stand on the rock, our fortress, our tower, our solid foundation, we won't move. When we trust, rest, and find our hope in him and him alone, no one can get to us. No one can access our heart and mind to affect our outlook on life. You know what this reminded me of? Going back to Mark chapter 4. When Jesus got in the boat with the disciples and they were crossing the sea and a storm kicked up, where was Jesus? He was asleep. He was asleep in the boat. And his disciples could not understand how in the world, in the midst of a chaotic storm, let's apply that to 2020, church, can Jesus find peace in the midst of the chaos? The disciples couldn't understand it. And so they woke him up and said, do you not care that we're perishing? But he was in that high and lofty, inaccessible place because he trusted in his father and knew exactly what was going on and found peace in the midst of that chaos. But what were his words to his disciples and his words to us in the midst of the storm? Where is your faith? Where's your faith? And I think that's something we need to remember. You know, the enemy wants to steal and kill and destroy. It's why this world is in such chaos. Because when the world society takes their eyes off of Jesus Christ, it falls into death and chaos and destruction. I mean, I can't remember, not in my lifetime or in my adult lifetime or in my studies of history where you look at a time frame of what's going on literally right now. Our state and the one just north of us is on fire, literally. Have you seen the maps? Literally on fire. What's going on in the east? Hurricanes coming in and and affecting people's lives. What's going on in society and culture, civil and social unrest across the nation? What season are we in? An election year. Let's add that to it. And the talking heads and the back and forth that's going to happen between those that are for this one and those that are for this one. And they're going to go back and forth and it's going to be nothing but hostility and anger and mistrust and biting amongst rioting and unrest and civil discord, I mean, it just, it's just the time that we're facing, how much do we need to come back to God's word and say, God, in you I trust. It's got to be you and you alone, you only. And what does David do in verses 5 through 8? He just gives, he, he repeats the words. That repetition is what we need. Just for God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, I shall not be shaken. Why do you think he needs to repeat those words? Because are we good to learn it just once? (laughs) No. As a former history teacher, it's time and time and time again. You know, I would rather get first day of my classes, I would typically just to kind of shock them a little bit, 
I would just rattle off all the presidents in a row. And when they served in their political parties, I'd just rattle them off, boom, 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 boom. they just look at me and go, how in the world can you do that? Well, I said, I just studied last night. Freaked him out. Like, no way. I said, no, it was repetition over and over and over. I said, I've been teaching this for 10 years now. But we got to say it over and over and over. And when we do that, we start to learn it. And then we start to believe it, right? And so how much more with the Word of God in our life do we need to read it over and over and over and say it over and over and over? David is giving us that example here, that repetition. But also, because until Christ returns, this world will be relentless in its efforts to pull you down from that lofty place. Now, Satan will be able to run wild and kill and steal and destroy and do everything possible to pull this world down into chaos. And so how much more do we need to be relentless in our pursuit of God and God alone? The repetition is absolutely needed. So how do we do this? What did David say in verse 8? Trust in him at all times and pour out your heart to God. Pour out your heart before them. Excuse me, before him. How do we do that? You ever poured out your heart to somebody? You ever just spent time weeping with somebody, crying with somebody, maybe even yelling at somebody because you just had so much to give, it just, you just kept going and going and going and then until there was just literally nothing left? That's what God wants us to do with him. We say, well, I can't be angry with God. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't say things, you know, that are really on my heart because if I say what's on my heart, it's going to be ugly. God is saying, pour out your heart. Because we're not pointing fingers at God. We're just letting him know, this is where I'm at. This is what I, what I feel. God, I need to give everything to you. So he's saying, pour out your heart. You know, Matthew Henry said, we must lay our grievances before him. You have anything that's weighing heavy on your heart this morning? Or this past week or past year or maybe a lifetime? You lay that before God. You cry out audibly. Find your place where you can audibly speak these things to God. He wants to hear. So again, Matthew Henry is saying, Lay our grievances before him. Offer up our desires to him with all humble freedom Patiently submitting our will to his. This is pouring out our hearts. You know, a lot of people say, well, God, I want to pray to you, but I want you to fix it so I can just get on with my life. Just fix me. Fix the situation or fix them. I think we do more of that, don't we? Fix that person. They've got the problem. I don't. Fix them so I can just go on with my life. No, we forget the most important aspect is when we cry out to God, we then submit ourselves to him so that his will and his way is what reigns supreme in our life. And then we walk in accordance with his word and what he wants, not our own. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone. In the way that we live our life, glory to God alone. Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. 
Search my heart. Anybody want to say that to God? Search me out, God. I want you to pull out all the junk inside. I mean, who really wants to say that? We don't, but it's what we need to do. Because then what he says is, then what? Show me the way. Let me walk in your way. The way of love. The way of peace. The way of kindness. And it goes on from there. God is our refuge. He's our shelter from the storm. He's our shelter from danger. He's our shelter from other people. So we cannot put our hope and our trust in people, regardless of their position. Scripture is very clear, especially in Psalm 144, verse 4. It says, man is like a breath. I think we said that a couple weeks ago. Your life is but a vapor. And it's gone. And it's over. It's done like that. And so what we do with the time that we have is of the utmost importance. What we focus on and who we give our attention to is of utmost importance. For the whole purpose of what it says in Romans 5, 2, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's our hope. He is our hope. But one of the key words in this is soli deo gloria. Glory. What is glory? What does that mean? I know we know the term. We can say the word, but do we really have a strong understanding of what that word means or should mean to our life? Have we lost our definition of his glory? Has it become so mundane, routine in our life that we just are not in awe of his glory anymore? And that's what I kind of want to focus on right now. Because there, this might be you, it may not be. Everybody is on a different part of their life in Christ. Or not. <laughs> but some in this room may have been walking with God for a long time, many years. And you define whatever many is. The danger in that life is becoming so caught up in the routine that we lose our sense of glory of who God is. We just go throughout the routine of church and life and work, church and life and work, and so on and so on, and we lose sight of glory. Anybody remember going to the Grand Canyon for the first time? How did that hit you? It's awe-inspiring, right? I mean, the reality is it's a big hole in the ground. That's all it is. It's a big ditch. But when you see it, there's something about it that just kind of makes you go, whoa, oh, yeah, <laughs> you said it before I did. Whoa. Amazing, right? But how many of you have been two, three, maybe four times? Did it have the same effect? Or you kind of lose it, you know, after a little while? You know, and that might happen. Because you like, you kind of you get into that mode of, oh, I've seen that, been there, done that. But you go and enjoy and that's kind of what happens in our life in Christ. We just kind of go through the routine and we just kind of like, okay, whoop, there it is again, church again. You know, here we are a year later, 52 weeks, two, 52 Sundays later, doing it again. And this morning is a whirlwind and all of a sudden it's on us again, it's on us again, it's on us again. It just goes so fast. 
And we just forget to slow down, we forget to pause, and we forget to reflect on the majesty, the glory, and the wonder of who God is. So, let me remind us, all of us, why we exist. You ever ask that great philosophical question? Why are we here? But why do we exist? Why were we made? Why are we here in this place? The answer is very, very clear. As God's word tells us. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7. says, whom I created for my glory. We exist to glorify him. It's why we exist. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So we exist for his glory. It's why we do what we do. In whatever we do, we do it for his glory. Which leads us to number three. Psalm 96 verse 3 says, Declare his glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the people. It's what we represent in what we do because of why we exist. Are you catching on? We exist for his glory. That if we do what he calls us to do, then we glorify him in all that we do. And then we declare his glory to the world around us by the things that we say and how we do the things that we do. It's all for him. Soli Deo Gloria. Get yourself out of the way. Remove yourself from the equation except to do what he calls you to do. Except to exist to glorify him. But if you've lost your awe, if you've lost your wonder, I want to give you three points to consider this morning. Three things to consider of what maybe you can do to reclaim your wonder and awe of who God is. Number one. Stop being ambivalent. You know what that word means? Stop being uncertain about who you are in Christ. You don't exist. You're not here just because. And that's why it's the great philosophical question, because a lot of people will go through life going, I don't know what to do. I don't know who I am. So maybe I need to go on a retreat so I can find myself. No. That's already been defined. So we in Christ need to stop being ambivalent, uncertain about who we are. Because God created you for who you are. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And in Jeremiah 29.11, very famous passage, it says what? God speaking, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for what? For welfare, for prosperity, not to harm you, but for what? To give you a future and a hope. If he knew you before you were born, and he knows the plans he has for you, stop being ambivalent about who you are in Jesus Christ. There's no uncertainty. So if he created you and knew you, and created you to exist to glorify him, then, number two, 
you need to stop believing the lies that the world is telling you about who you are. Stop believing the lies about what culture wants to feed you, about who you need to be or what you need to look like or how you need to dress or how you need to act or what you should do. God's word has already declared that for you. He created you to exist, to glorify him, and in all that you do, you bring him glory. Stop believing the lies that you need anything more to satisfy yourself other than God. Beauty, fashion, money, popularity, possessions, they're all gimmicks. They're all lies to get you to believe something about yourself other than what God has for you. Plain and simple. But we need to stop believing the lies. And if you don't know what the lies are, then you need to get into the Word of God and rest in Him so you can understand what it is that we need, who it is that we are. And then put his word up against culture and society and what they're saying so you can then truly see truth versus lie. So one, stop being ambivalent. Stop being uncertain. Two, stop believing the lies about what culture wants to feed you, about who you are and who you should be. And number three, just stop playing the game. Stop playing the game of Christianity. I know who I am in Christ, but I really want this stuff too. I know who God wants me to be, and I can find joy in that, but God, the stuff in the world is, is really cool. It's really good. It's really satisfying, albeit here. And so we keep doing this, right? And so we might do this on Sunday, but then on Monday through Saturday, we kind of come back over here. And we kind of forget everything that we got here because all this is really nice. You see what I'm saying? This is a game we play. We play a game with our Christianity and our faith. You say, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. Glorify him. Amen. Hallelujah. But then we come onto this side and we play this game. And we wear this mask. We wear this facade. And we do that long enough, we're going to start to lose our awe and wonder and majesty of who God is and who he wants us to be. You guys following me? So stop being ambivalent. Stop believing the lies. Stop playing the game. Jesus wants all of you. He spoke to the church in Revelation 2, 4. He says, but I have this against you that you abandon the love that you had at first. When God called you into his family, you were here. And you felt that. You had wonder and awe and majesty and love for God. But then you just slowly... But surely, crept back to the other side, didn't you? And we've lost it. Because we've walked away. We got too enticed by what the world wanted for us. You know, John was very clear. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Paul made it very clear in Colossians. Keep your mind on the things above, not on the things of this earth. And Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 4, 1 Timothy 4. He said, godliness is of value in every way. And it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. We need to continue to seek holiness, seek righteousness, seek who he is, and nothing more. Look, you know who you are in Christ. Scripture's made that very clear. You know who you ought to be. 
We're told very clearly who we are. If we are made in the image of God, we therefore ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. That's 1 John 2, 6. For those who say they abide in him ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. Well, how did Jesus walk? Don't give me the junior high answer. Upright. How did Jesus walk? He walked in love. He walked in humility. He walked in service. He walked sacrificially. And that's how we ought to walk because that's who we are to be. He was obedient to his heavenly father and he served in love, humility, and sacrifice. We have purpose. We have a goal. It's now time to strip off that old stuff. Stop coming back over here because you think you're going to continue to find satisfaction in the world over here. It's not there. You've been there. You might be there now. Come back to Jesus. Come back to your first love and then pause here. Rest here. Know what he wants for you here. Start to believe more and more of who he created you to be and who he wants you to be for him, to glorify him, and then to give him glory to the rest of the world. That's what we need to do. And that's why scripture has us pause. Slow down. Kick your feet up with the word of God and just rest in it. Practice what we do here. Just read the word and then just pause. Allow God to speak to you. To remind you of who you are. Who you really are. I'm going to close with this. Psalm 145, verses 5 through 7. Listen to these words. Psalm 145, 5 through 7. On the glorious splendor of your majesty, and on the wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. That's what our life is about. To declare his wonder, his majesty, his splendor. And we can only do that in a place where we rest in him and him alone. Say it with me, church. Soli Deo Gloria. Say it again. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory to God alone.